My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. John the Baptist appeared preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruits as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Not too long ago, I was sitting in a doctor's office waiting room, frustrated that I had forgotten to maybe bring some work with me and not getting really great cell service that I could catch up on words with friends or some other mindless thing. And so I ended up picking up one of their magazines. Who even knew that they made these things anymore? And the assortment that the office had didn't have a lot of great options. There was Oprah's magazine with her on the cover, once again. Um, People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly. The most masculine of all the assortment was Esquire. So I picked it up and as I'm flipping page by page, I came upon this story about a Hollywood actor whose name really wasn't even familiar to me. I definitely realize I'm getting old. Shia LaBeouf. I'm like, what a la what? But anyway, the headline writer definitely wins like the prize for catching people's attention. It said, Shia LaBeouf is ready to talk about it. The actor sets out to save his career and his soul. I'm like, all right, well, now you got this priest's attention. Let me see what this is all about. 
Long story short, it's sadly a, a very typical story out of Hollywood, particularly for someone who was a child actor, who at the age of 21 was being called the next Tom Hanks. So obviously there was a lot of pressure and a lot of expectations put on him. As is often the case, the celebrity, the ups and downs of the career, the public eye and the public scrutiny and not knowing how to balance or deal with all these things, had the reporter characterizing him as the guy who was handed the golden ticket and promptly lit it on fire. And they recounted his, his history of embarrassing stories surrounding his abuse of alcohol. But what was the breaking point put him in the spotlight at this point and was possibly the last straw took place in the fall of 2017. He was filming a movie in Georgia and was out partying late one night. At four o'clock in the morning, a highly intoxicated LaBeouf stumbled upon two strangers looking for a cigarette. When they turned him down, he didn't take that very well. Well, one of them happened to be a police officer who was undercover who tried to get him to calm down. Things continued to escalate and he was arrested. As he got to the police station, there was footage of him getting processed and with each moment, he just got more and more belligerent. From screaming about his millionaire lawyers to mocking a police officer who happened to be black and just getting more and more hostile and vulgar. Unfortunately, television programs like TMZ love footage like this, and they got it and aired it with all the bleeps and on-screen graphics and stuff. Well, the day after, he returned to the, cat, uh, the set with the cast of his movie, and they were getting together for one of their cast parties. And he said that the entire room was filled with actors, and production staff and all kinds of creatives, and no one said a word about what happened. All except one actor, his co-star, Zach Gotzigan, who is a young man, a young actor, who happens to have Down syndrome. Zach was so angry and so hurt by what had happened that as soon as he caught LaBeouf's eye, he went right up to him, got into his face, and said, you're already famous. This is my chance and you're ruining it for me. LaBeouf explained that hearing Zach saying that he was disappointed in him changed the course of his life. LaBeouf says, because I was already still fighting. I was still on my, look how fast they release those videos. They don't release these things and he kept sulking in that self-defense mechanism. But as he was reflecting on his conversation with Zach, he said, you can't do that with him. He keeps it at a thousand with you. And that stuff doesn't make any sense to him. Zach can't not shoot straight and bless him for it. Because in that moment, I needed a straight shooter who I couldn't argue with. As the 20-minute conversation continued and his defenses fell, they sat next to each other and Zach put his hand on his shoulder. And for LaBeouf, he said that that was enough for him to allow him to acknowledge all these painful things from his past and to begin to let go of them and to start making the decision to move forward. He said he made a decision right then and there to stop blaming, 
stop scapegoating and stop being so defensive and to see and hear this pure goodness in this co-star of his and want to make a change to try to reach for that ideal for himself of that, that goodness. All of us need reminders from time to time of the ideal, of the good. In the day-to-day, it's, it's easy to let all the stresses and the failures and tensions to kind of weigh us down. It's easy to let our, our sinfulness and our temptations that we struggle with to diminish our, our views of ourselves and the world around us. And so we need to have our, our hearts and our minds and our sights and our visions listed from ourselves and the things around us. And to ask ourselves, what will bring out the good in us? This second Sunday of Advent, as we continue to focus on the three comings of Jesus Christ, his first at Christmas, the coming at the end of time, and in the here and now, or to even make it more personal, how Jesus has come into our lives in the past, how he will meet us at the end of our lives, and how he meets us here and now. These scriptures are meant to help recast God's vision for us of the ideal, of the good. On the surface, the readings from Isaiah and from the Gospel of St. Matthew probably sounded a a bit too unrealistic or a little bit off-putting. I mean, in that first reading, we're hearing about a wolf being a guest of a lamb, leopards lying with kids, calves and lions browsing together with a child guiding them, cows and bears being neighbors and a baby playing in a cobra's den. A cobra's den, yeah. You could be forgiven for thinking, what was Isaiah on that day? We don't see how any of this is real. How is this even possible? So our impulse is almost to dismiss it. And similarly, in in the gospel reading, we hear John the Baptist, this guy wearing camel's hair, eating locusts and honey. He's living out in the wilderness. He's calling the religious authorities of the day vipers and calls the rest of his listeners to repent. Again, it's not shocking that some might be initially dismissive of this rather eccentric guy and wonder, what's going on here? But both Isaiah and John are prophets. And prophets are messengers sent by God to put forward a message from the Lord to his people that God will intervene dramatically to transform the world in in some way and to give his people hope, to give them time to prepare, to give them time to respond. Isaiah's prophecy of this ideal, peace-filled vision probably seems as far-fetched to his first listeners as it does to us. But part of the reason that that's the case is that so often we rarely see the goodness of the world that God created, the goodness in one another. We could be hurt and angry and frustrated by things and people and events which often results in us responding in equally hurtful and angry and frustrating ways. It's why a story like Shiloh LaBeouf's can resonate with us. Just reading the details of his life story, one can appreciate how all these different wounds and setbacks that have happened in his past afflicted him to the point that he had this very public and embarrassing breakdown. But through the no-nonsense direct confrontation of his co-star, 
he was able to break through all those layers of defense that he was holding on to and lovingly call him out. Finally, he was able to own his failures and start to change his life, crediting this entire encounter as saving him. That's just one example, and with that, we have a glimpse of Isaiah's even more expansive and glorious vision of peace-filled world that the Messiah will enter and usher in. But in order for that to happen, we have to want that vision to be our vision. And we have to make our vision our mission. And that's where John the Baptist picks up. We hear these kind of stark words from the prophet. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Not exactly sounding like he's in the Christmas spirit. Someone needs to get John a candy cane. But he's trying to get us on the right path to the true meaning of Christmas. Not pretending like Jesus is going to be born again in Bethlehem like he did to Mary 2,000 years ago. But rather are bringing Christ to birth here and now. We do that when we start to repent of our pettiness, of our grudges. We do that when we reach out to those that maybe we've been estranged from. When we become prophets ourselves and engage in the hard work of bringing some peace, some compassion, some mercy into the world around us. To play the roles of John the Baptist and Isaiah in our homes and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods. May we hear the challenge of the season of Advent that calls us to celebrate and to uphold and to seek out and call attention to all that is good in God's creation, recognizing how Jesus has reconciled all creation and revealed God as our loving and eternal Father. Then we can remind ourselves and maybe remind the world around us of the good that there is inside all of us.